Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The phone, the hotline is 337-706-0111. So, if you would like to get in, other than our, we've been visiting each Tuesday with, with Bobby Nova. We'll be doing that again towards the end of the show. But other than that, open phone lines. We've been kind of keeping our interviews more to the back of the week. So the beginning of the week, lots of things to discuss. If um, it was, look, I didn't watch as much as, you know, I, I flipped back and forth here and there to see what was going on with the basketball game. While um, I endured the Detroit Tigers' continued ownership over the Houston Astros, I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of things in sports that are hard to figure out. And one of the things that's just always been fascinating to me is how some teams typically play better against other teams. Like the Astros, you can certainly argue, have been the most dominant baseball team in the last six years in baseball. And yet, they just struggle with the Tigers. Like, every time they play them. Now, the result, the result-oriented person would say, well, the Astros have won the last seven going into last. But almost every one of those is like, like last year they, they, they swept the Tigers in a series. Every game was three to two, and Detroit outplayed them in every game. They were just, they just some kind of way won. It's like, it's not supposed to be like going to the dentist's office to play the worst team in the league or one of the worst teams in the league. Like every once in a while, yeah, but not like every game. You either lose to them or you barely win by the skin of your teeth. Like it's not supposed to be like, I know this is baseball, it's not football or basketball, but it's just amazing. Like, for like three or four years now, they just, it's every game with the, we're talking about the mighty Detroit Tigers here. First of all, you never want to play someone who's 0-3. That is an awful thing to do. You never want to play someone who's who's winless. No matter what, but especially now, you know, it's just, it's not a good plan. Not a good plan at all. But, uh. So I was kind of enduring that, and I'd flip back to basketball just to see what was going on. And it, you know, they made one little run, cut it to what five or six, and it it you know was was not there. So basketball's over. LSU women won. UConn men won. I'm guessing Dawson isn't buying this, but I I have heard the narrative that UConn's run to the the championship 
was like the most unimpressive dominant run in NCAA history. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say those words, but that's basically what they're saying. Like, it, it they they beat everyone double figures, so it's kind of hard to say that there was nothing fluky about it. But it just it's nobody's fault. It just it worked out where all the supposed high seeds they were supposed to play, they didn't have to play any of them. And so it, they were fortunate and dominant at the same time. It's kind of, kind, of, kind of weird, but, I mean, none of that matters. It's just something that people say. Um, you know, you got the trophy, you hold your little parade, you start, you know, seeing how many people go off into the transfer portal or who you need to get. You know, that just is kind of the way college sports works these days. But it's over with. And um, certainly if you have any any thoughts on it, it, you know, San Diego State just, they didn't shoot well. It, you know, UConn's kind of been dominating everyone. Uh, Miami missed like, what, 15 layups or something? Like, I don't understand all this missed layup stuff. Like, when I was watching last night, San Diego State missed like, and I didn't watch every minute. I was flipping back and forth. Like, just easy layups. Like, miss three or four easy layups um, is what it is. I don't know if it's pressure or it's just got to give – certainly you got to give UConn its fair share of credit. But it was um, – I'm sure a lot of people look at this uh, polar polarizing thought that this was a great NCAA tournament, and I'm sure there are a lot of other people who think – thought it was a terrible NCAA tournament so is what it is uh I'm I'm kind of in the middle on that I I, I love upsets I love non-chalk I would have enjoyed it more if San Diego State had won but it ended up not with chalk because you know they you know UConn was what a four seed they weren't a top three seed but they're still you know a program who's won a lot of national championships. So it's not like, the, you know, oh, no, UConn won a na- national championship. That hasn't happened and hasn't been that long. It's happened five times this century. So um, any thoughts you have on that, certainly feel free to do that. One of the things that we're going to have to start monitoring, and I'm terrible at this, and we, <laughs> Manny has commented on how it amazes him that I really ha- ever – hardly ever have any idea what's going on with the weather because I never pay attention to that. But I keep other people who do pay attention keep telling me that the weather's going to be really bad this weekend. So this Cajun South Alabama series in softball is pretty important. I heard Jim talking to Raymond last hour about how McNeese is going to have to maybe try to maneuver that. It's going to be like trying to avoid mines in a minefield. Well, it's really it's really complicated on an Easter holiday weekend because the whole point of playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday is you don't want to play on Sunday. But what happens if you don't get the games in? So um, that's something we're going to have to kind of monitor. The Cajuns, quote, unquote, spring game, which will not be a game, is scheduled for Thursday as well. Now, it's only been two or three years removed since that happened where 
you know, they've already decided they're going to just go play in the indoor. Was it two or three years ago? Sometime recently, they did that. They went and played in the indoor. And it was actually a game like they had multiple quarterbacks and they actually like played a little, you know, simulated game. Um, this would be a little, this is going to be a full fledged practice. It's just going to be drills. Okay. But, but I, that's an easy fix. You just go in the indoor. Uh, softball or baseball, depending on, you know, where you are. And, and that's a little trickier, a little trickier. All right. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Kevin Foot. Yes, sir. Well, I, I want to I, I want to start off sound like Ronnie because I want to tell you 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 are not a well man. I, I listened yesterday. I tried to call in to refute you yesterday, but I'm getting a little worried. You and I, but it's about the same subject. You yesterday, Kevin, you said you were too old school. You said multiple things that contradict yourself. First of all, you said. Basketball's impossible to officiate basketball. It is. Possible for a human being to officiate basketball. We know that's why you have to stop watching. Then you say you're too old school to want the computer. Uh, bring on the computer. So, yeah, my question is, okay, you say it's impossible to officiate basketball, but it is. you want human beings to decide in a nanosecond when they can call a file, when they shouldn't, is a 10 second. We, we've been through all this. So, the only sport you can have computer officials is baseball, and you don't want them, but you seem to want computer officials in football and basketball. Okay, so, I, I have, I, I, Manny, you've been listening to me. We've been talking on the air for a long time. I have said. That it really it it does seem hypocritical. I've admitted that it seems hypocritical for me not to want Robo Ump for the home plate just because I'm pro replay and everything else and all, and all of that. I, I just it's just and and I think my sta- long time stance on that probably comes from I don't know if ignorance is the right word, but probably it is just because I can't picture what it's going to look like like. If I actually saw it, I just I just feel like it's gonna look like some game that's not baseball anymore. But yeah, maybe I, it's because I don't really understand how it's gonna have, take place. I I have a friend that you know one of my LSU guys that we go to games. He's been calling for computer umps for a, a decade. I mean, and I'm you know I was vehemently against it and. And I'm kind of like you. I'm very concerned about what it's going to look like and how it's going to, you know. I, 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 I really, I'm not really for it. I just want to, I just kind of want to poke, call in and poke the bear. No, I, know, I, I agree that it seems a little hypocritical. I, I will talk, I've, and I've admitted that multiple times on the air that, you know, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm for getting it right, but the whole. I don't know, computer um thing. It just it seems like yeah, we're going to yeah. be playing tennis instead of baseball. It's just something <laughs> about it just you, doesn't seem it's right. It's a me. very valid point. Very yeah. valid point. Okay, now listen. Let me wrap up and say I'm trying to do my homework, but Kevin, I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if we can. I can guarantee you that you're not going to get a curveball on the night of Thursday night, April twenty what ninth, eighth. 
Well, we got to uh, start. Like, we starting today. Like, I'm, 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 we've been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Back. Well, we start today. Yes, and it's got to happen. We got to try. I love, I love the Dawson's mock draft. Was, was, was it uh, the guard? Was it Dawson that picked those hard cards for the uh, for the first pick and then running back for the second pick? I don't remember. I love – listen, I – the only thing is, like I said, it's it's gonna be hard not to get a curveball with with basically there no without the glaring, you know, we always go like last year we were calling it we just kept saying, but you know, there's no glaring super well I I still think running back is a glaring issue because I don't think forty one's gonna play. So I still don't think, you know, we definitely are not out of the woods at running back. we they've gone a long way. But boy, it could be a big curveball because there's no super hole, you know. So I'm gonna keep working, Kevin. And I, I but man, I love listen. I love the big guy from Florida, UL slash Florida. I think I don't think you could go wrong. It, everybody says he's a starter day one at guard, you know. Look, and we got Andrews Pete. So <laughs> to me, that could have been. You know, I've been hoping for that five years. So, I mean, I, I think that would be a great pick. Him and the – I think it was Dawson's – him and the running back from Alabama at 40. But, you know, I'm, I, I don't think he's a first round. I think there's only one first round running back, but this guy is just – of course, you know, what's 29 or 40, not that much difference, you know. Uh, so, yeah, but it's going to be hard not to get a, to eliminate all curveball possibilities. No, we, no, we, we have to be comprehensive. That's lazy thinking, <laughs> Manny. Okay, Kevin, I, all I'm right. going to keep working. All right. And I'm going to, in the next week or so, I'm going to give you what I think is our list of strong possibilities, and we'll have to just branch out from there to the end of the month. You know? Absolutely. All, all right. right. Thanks, Manny. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111 on this Tuesday. If you are a weather forecast expert, we certainly want to hear from you. You know, we've we've seen it many times. And Mr. Bobby's one of them. We're going to talk to Mr. Bobby next hour. And he constantly says, they all say it's going to rain. It ain't going to rain. How many times? He's right. Like most of the time, he's correct. So we'll see what he says when we talk to him next hour. I mean, how many times have we we've seen it multiple times already this baseball softball season where you change the game and, and, and you change the day of the game where you play a doubleheader and then boom, it never rains. Or if it rains, it's just very little. So, 
and you kind of regret it a little bit, but, you know, you just do what you think you got. You can make the best decision, and, and you live with it. So certainly that's on the table. But again, I, we are now, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not a great countdown guy. I don't even know what the date of today, what is today? The fourth, I think. Um, so we're like a little over three weeks, three weeks and a couple days away from the start of the draft. And it is, it's getting more complicated, it seems. Because the 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 quarterback scenarios that we keep hearing about every day could end up impacting the actual draft, and that complicates things. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. What's going on, Kevin? How are you, sir? Kevin, remember two weeks old, two weeks ago, I brought up uh, uh, talking about college uh, women basketball. And not like go, go and behold, now it's, it's, it's the rage right now. Ain't that crazy? That is, yes, sir. <laughs> Kevin, hey, what I want to talk about is, remember how we talked earlier in the week about I said uh, the, uh, the Cajuns were going to go up there and take care of James Madison for running their mouth? But they sure did, didn't they? Boy, you're right. I mean, look, I, I, I was just impressed um, what, what what they did, and they had more, and they had more obstacles than you or I knew when you said that. Uh, you know, Carly Heat didn't even play in the series, and she's been their best player this year, and they still did it. And you know that first game, uh, James Madison had him had him on the rope. I mean, was it? It was a two ring lead going into the sixth inning before uh, that girl hit the two run home in the tie. Was yeah. that is that the way it went out? Right. Yeah. And look, and they came back and won that game. Once they won that game right there, they had James Madison like they wanted after that. That was a wrap. That is true. No, they they did a they did a great job uh, of winning that. And you know, I, I think Coach Glasgow is pretty much you know he kind of thinks that the best teams are all on the Cajun side of things in in, in softball. Even though James Madison, you know, just two seasons ago was in Oklahoma City. Um, but the problem is, and we'll be talking about this more as the season goes on, Marshall doesn't play hardly any of the good teams in the conference. So they're going to go through the the conference schedule maybe pretty much unscathed because, you know, they, they don't play any of the top teams. You think it's going to be more than a one-bid lead this year? I don't know. Uh, you know, it depends who wins. I mean, I think the, if the if the Cajuns don't win the conference, it's going to be more than a one bid lead. But I don't know. Like last I saw, Marshall was like sixty six. If I if thought I what I checked yesterday, I thought that's what I remember them being. Um, so I, you know, now South Alabama could get in. I mean, I think it's possible three teams could get in. It's not out of the realm of possibility that four could get in. Well, I don't know about that, high. But, but Kevin, going back to the draft, you think if Tennessee goes uh, gets uh, uh, goes to trades up to get to that pick, you think it's going to be the the first four picks are going to be all quarterbacks? I don't think the first four, unless like you say, someone trades up to three. The thing that I look, there's the, it, it, so much of the draft is which rumor mill or whatever do you believe? Like every day, I see a story. Will Levis is plummeting down the first round in the draft. Like, 
Who is saying that? Like, we just don't know if that's really true. And also, it only takes one team to disagree. You know, a month before the combine, everyone was trashing Anthony Richardson. Now he's going to be a top three or four pick, according to just about everybody. You, you Almost every mock now has that guy in the top three or four. There's so much smoke screens going on right now. It's, it's crazy. You right. I mean? It's just to know like what to believe. Yeah, very hard. All right, hey, Kevin, before I let you go, man, but uh, you said you were worried about Detroit. That was a good forecast there, huh? Oh, man, no. Look, I, I've seen it for like three or four years now. They they just they cannot play well against the Tigers. I mean, it's amazing. This guy, Matt Veerling, I mean, he looked like Roberto Clemente last night. He's making diving catches. He's hitting homer. He went four for five, two-run homer. He makes this diving catch that would have, the Astros would have won the game if he don't make it with two outs and the bases loaded. Uh, it's unbelievable, that guy. All right, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. Matt Veerling. He's all mad because he was with the Phillies last year and we crushed their face, so he got a little revenge. Sickening. But um but no, I don't I, I don't he, he, here's the problem. Like the whole Lamar Jackson thing gets more and more bizarre. Like, why why can't something happen on draft day around Lamar Jackson? I would think that's very possible. That could change could change a lot of this stuff. Why can't something happen on draft day with Aaron Rodgers? Now, again, we're all assuming he's going to the Jets, and probably that's what's going to happen. But those two quarterback scenarios could impact trying to figure out the draft. The other name is Trey Lance. Again, the cheaters traded all this draft capital for Trey Lance, and the guy has been nothing but hurt. Like, if seriously, if if you're the cheaters, what in the world do you do? We've been talking about this. That it's been a perplexing issue. For a while now, and 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 I just like, I kept you know when our cheater fan friends would call, I'm like, like what's gonna happen there? Like you 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 can't really. For a long time, I thought, well, you can't really give up all that draft capital for this guy and never even give him a chance. Like he's never really gotten a chance to prove if they were right about him or not. But it's nobody's fault. He just gets hurt all the time. But now I'm starting to think they are willing to say, well, we just messed up on this and move on. I mean, looks like they're going to just move on and and somebody else is going to figure out if they were right about Trey Lance or not. I mean, think about it. Trey Lance hasn't played that much more football than I have over the last three years. (laughs) It's unbelievable. The Trey Lance situation is just... It's another reason why I just hate drafting quarterbacks. I just hate just the the thought of it, drafting a quarterback and spending all this draft capital for a guy like Trey Lance. You don't know if you you just – Trey Lance. But 
I mean, if you're the Tennessee Titans, we've been talking about that since the since before the end of the season, before the Super Bowl, we were talking about Trey Lance going to the Tennessee Titans. So, if you're the Tennessee Titans, you got to get a quarterback. I mean, to me, you have to. You know, if you're trying to sit there and predict the draft, like, okay, if you hate Will Levis, okay, then don't pick him. Well, then you got to go make a package for Lamar Jackson or you got to get him a package for Trey Lance. Or you got to trade up if you if you like Anthony Richards. I'm not patient enough for that Anthony Richardson stuff. But... Somebody might be like, if you're the Titans, you have to come out of this with a quarterback. You can't go to Ju- you can't get to June 1st and you don't have a quarterback. It, I wouldn't think. Like, I mean, how can you do that? Especially since you have all these options. So you have to get a quarterback. But who is it going to be right now? You know, I've been thinking they're just going to draft Will Levis. But everybody keeps telling me. Everyone's down on Will Levis now. He's he's plummeting down the draft board. And and why? Like, I, I just don't know if I believe that. I mean, everyone, a bu- when I say everyone, a bunch of people are reporting that with quotes around reporting. Somebody's telling them that, but that doesn't mean every team believes that or does it mean that every team thinks that way? So, really, that's the, for me, that's the number one question. Do you buy the Will Levis stuff? Because to me, like the Titans and the Colts, they have to fig- they have to come out of this with a quarterback. Like, the Colts have been fighting the quarterback thing. How ironic that Andrew's last name was Luck. Because they seem so lucky to be following Peyton Manning with luck, and it turns out that they were the it was the opposite of luck. You know, the the Packers fans have loved the last 30 years having and people again, a lot of people forget about Don Mikowski. Don Mikowski had a three, about a two or three year run where he was really good. So they had a really good quarterback play with Mikowski. Then they had Brett Farr forever. And then they had Aaron Rodgers forever. So they've had over 30 years of good quarterback play. Think about that. And they've loved that, but now they actually have love. They deserve for love to be a bust. Like love needs to be a bust. Just like the Colts were trying to get ahead of the game, going from Peyton Manning to luck, and boy, has that not worked out for him. I wanted the diehard Colt fan just hates Andrew Luck. Think about, think about all the misery and, and bad football that his retirement has caused the Colts. Like, man, I mean, it's been bad. It's, and, and, you know, they haven't been terrible because they actually have a pretty good team. But they just can't get the quarterback situation straight. I thought Matt Ryan was going to be a, a, a momentary answer. Turns out that was not the case. Unbelievable. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll be back. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Last night, uh, as per usual, no NBA action because of the national championship game. The NBA will get back at it tonight. And the um, Pels play the Kings. And it is... A huge Final Four stretch. But here, here before we go into this Final Four stretch, I was just talking about how complicated the draft is, and we're, we're about to, to get back to that. But I want to, like, again, I, I have nothing to – I've said explained it many times. I'm, I would not consider myself a Pels fan. I wouldn't insult people like – who are serious Pels fans who watch every game and live and die with the Pels. I wouldn't even insult them. I call them a Pels fan because I'm not a Pels fan. But I wish them well. And so, and, you know, a lot of people that watch and listen are following them. And so it's uh, their story this year has been a very interesting one. It's been all over the place. But my question is this. We talked about this about three or four weeks ago, and we haven't really revisited it. Do we buy, or I say y'all, do y'all buy as Pels fans this whole concept that the most dangerous teams in the Western Conference playoffs are not going to be the one and two seed? Do we buy that? Yes. You know, there's a narrative that the Suns and the Lakers are the two, Dan. There's a growing narrative out there. Yeah, I agree on the Suns. I fully disagree on the Lakers, but I do understand where it's coming from. Okay, so do you want to go 4-0 and beat a 5C? So, yeah, I, I see where you're going there. I don't want to play Phoenix if I don't have to, but at this point, if the Pelicans can guarantee a playoff spot and not have to worry about the playing tournament, I, you can't, beggars can't be choosers. So, so would you rather be the seven or eight seed and and avoid the Suns, or would you rather be the five seed and play the well, Suns? But the seven seed comes with having to play in the playing tournament, so I don't want to. I if I can avoid the playing tournament, I just avoid it. Just give me to a seven game series. Do you really think you would beat the Suns right now in a seven-game no, series? No, but I just don't want to deal with the playing tournament if you don't have to. Yeah, I, but wouldn't you I rather win? I think the best win? case is be a six seed and play the three seed. I think that's your best case. Which is right now? Sacramento. Sacramento. See, Sacramento is a great unknown. Like, last time they were in the playoffs – I mean, that was probably about 50 pounds ago for me last time they were in the playoffs. Eh, maybe 40 pounds. I, I, I don't know. That, that, was, that was a long time ago. So, you like, playing the Kings is a great unknown. Although, 
again, I, I get confused. I don't have too many good memories of the of the Pels playing the Kings this year. Have they beaten the Kings? Seemed like at least the last time they played them, they got demolished, if I remember correctly. Um, so you know, but again, that's a the playoffs are different. I'm just saying, before we go into this four-game stretch, I think that's a, it's a fascinating subject because I guess it's not all that unusual to have a sport where going into the playoffs, the teams that you look at as the top three seeds are not considered the best teams. But I think it's I think this is a fairly unique situation because a lot of people really believe that. It's starting to happen more and more, though. Um, in the NBA, at least, because of the decreased emphasis on the regular season. And, like, again, until they, which they're not going to, but when you have a playoff format that essentially rewards you zero for being the one seed. what do You you get one extra home game if you're a one through four seed in the first round. And so the one seed gets home court advantage, which, again, though, home court advantage is one extra home game. You don't have any buys. You don't have any tight. You, you you almost have the disadvantage because you're playing a team who gets to play in the play-in tournament and, you know, quote, if, if you buy into the rhythm thing of, of playing consistently. So teams have said, look, we don't, as long as we're going to be in the top five or six, which, you know, the good teams know they're going to be, they go, who cares about the regular season? And that's why I think you've seen some teams. Now, Phoenix is a little different because they made an acquisition at the deadline that made them a lot better. But like Golden State this year, they were like, ah, eh, whatever. If we get to the top we don't we don't care if we're one, two, three, four, five, or six. But look at the Eastern Conference. I think it's critical, very different. Like if I'm the Bucks, I want the number one seed because the way, I don't want to have to play Boston or the Sixers until the conference final. Because there seems to be those three teams, and then everybody. So the the, the East is opposite because perception is the top three teams are head and shoulders above the rest of the conference. Right. And well, but then. That's the weird thing, like in the West, where you're supposed to get rewarded as the you know the top seeds, but you could have a situation where the two seed has to play a Lakers team that's figured things out, and so it's like you work so hard to be the two seed that Memphis is, and they might get rewarded, quote unquote, by playing a team that's playing very well right now. The Pelicans, by the way, split with Sacramento so far this season. They beat them by a ton in February, and then lost by a good amount as well in March. So two blowouts. Yes. And, and and really, that probably means it probably means nothing. Um, that was a yeah. That was a long. Well, I mean, it wasn't that long know, ago. Right, it it that was long just ago, but... the team was not the same team, right? Um, and again, you're playing a team with zero playoff experience, and so that that just you know, I, I think I prefer a team with zero playoff experience than. Yeah, and Sacramento, like the narrative around them this season for the most part has been they've had very good injury luck. They've missed like some of the fewest games. I don't know if they still lead that category, but for a long time they had the fewest games missed due to injury. I know they did lose Fox for a little bit. Um, and that they were kind of overachieving. They were winning games, you know, and, and the kind of narrative was that they were going to come back to the pack. Now, because of how muddy the rest of the West ended up being, they've stayed in that number three spot, but... I would feel better about playing Sacramento in a seven-game series than probably anyone else you could match up with, and that includes like the teams at the bottom. That includes Golden State, obviously, who's going to be five or six. I would feel better about playing Sacramento than probably any of them, except maybe like if it's Minnesota who ends up being eight, but that wouldn't be a possibility anyway. And I, it's I, well, I'm not suggesting that you as a Pels fan 
ought to root for your team to lose. I'm not no, suggesting. But, but what I'm suggesting it. is if you do lose, it may not be the end of the world. It may not right. be as bad. The ramifications of a loss right now, even though you're fighting for a playoff spot, may not be as bad as it initially feels right after the game. Yeah, it's, and it's going to be tough to win enough to get six, but not win enough to get five, you know? And so that's what's now difficult about it. And you just hope that. Somehow it falls into place, but again, I just I would one I would without a doubt I would rather play Phoenix if it means missing the playing tournament. I don't want to mess with the possibility of losing a couple know. games and going I, home. I guess where you are, but I still want to. I mean, you might then have to beat the Lakers and or the Timberwolves to even make the playoffs if you go into that playing tournament. Whereas if you're if you're the five seed, you're playing seven games. Well, you know, you're playing at least four games. But. So if you're playing a two-game Final Four series, you're throwing your best pitcher in the semifinals. See, I, I tend to, man, I might, I might say my best pitcher because I'm trying to win the whole thing. I'm not trying to get to well, the Well, I'll tell you, you know what, the funny thing, I, I won't bring too many high school baseball references to the show, but... We used to play three-game series in the playoff. We actually played Notre Dame at Crowley, and our coach's logic was we knew they were going to throw their ace in game one, so we didn't. We threw our basically our kind of innings eater in game one, and we threw our ace in game two with the idea of trying to get game two. Yeah. It didn't work. We lost, but <laughs> like that was no. his the way he thought of things. College he tried coaches to mix, do that mix fairly often right. yeah. in regionals. You don't throw your ace in the first game. Right. Um. So again, it just kind of depends on where you are and what what would be what you're really trying to achieve. I don't know. That's 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 a tricky deal. The bottom line is, it's not life or death if you lose one of these games necessarily. So there's a little consolation there. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents, also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. I can't help. Every once in a while, I think about this. You know, the, we have mentioned his name once. So if the Saints pick this guy, which theoretically is possible, it's theoretically possible he could be picked by the Saints. But for those of you who are my age or maybe just a little younger than me or a little older, it, it, it's just it, people are going to say it all around the New Orleans area if the Saints pick this guy. Man, I wish Buddy D was still here to try to pronounce that name. And the guy, I don't even have any idea how to pronounce it, but there's going to be radio and TV people and even newspaper people because – Typing is typing, but some names are just a lot harder to type than anything else. That if they pick this defensive tackle from Northwestern, 
and I don't have no idea how to pronounce his name, but I think it's Aditamawa Adibawar. Something like that. That was that was pretty good, I think. You think that is that it? I think that's really close, yeah. Aditamawa Adibawar. So I would love for, for to hear, and obviously we can't because Buddy D is no longer with us, but you know, Buddy D was um uh, an announcer, old TV guy. He inflicted the Saints with Mike Ditka. There are a lot of people, and I don't know if there's any truth to it, but there's a lot of people that believe that, you know, he pushed Mike Ditka, Mike Ditka, Mike Ditka, Mike Ditka, and they somehow the team gave in and hired Mike Ditka to be the head coach, which I'm not going to say was the dumbest decision in franchise history because in the late 60s, early 70s, they made a lot of dumb decisions, but it was certainly the dumbest decision since 85 when you could argue the Saints currently where they you know are as a franchise began in 85 when Benson took over. Like they became a professional franchise then. Before they were just kind of seemed like they were just kind of flying by the seat of their pants kind of thing. And they had some good years and made some good decisions before that. Don't get me wrong. Because a lot of people, you know, again, one of the things I hate hearing is the whole paperback thing. That is such a that's so misleading. Like, I, I just hate when people talk about the paper bags. Because that happened in one year. Like, one season, my freshman year of high school. They wore paper bags because they had this drug team and they went 1-15. in 15. Well, two years before that, they were like, one year before that, and two years before that, they were like one or two crazy, stupid plays or massive comeback wins away from having winning seasons and being in the playoffs. This whole concept of the paper bags was is just totally blown out of proportion. Totally. By way too many people. But, um, but so they had good, some, some competitive seasons before Benson took over. But really, it, it's been a pretty good franchise since Benson took over in 85. They, they've had losing seasons. Uh, but other than the Ditka years, they've been really good. I mean, really, the three Ditka years were not good. They were terrible. Well, two of the three were just miserable, just totally miserable. But other than Ditka, it, you know, they haven't really been that bad. They've been pretty good as a franchise, actually. Um, but, 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 no, he, you know, if, for those of you who know Buddy Dick but, or remember Buddy D, you remember exactly what I was talking about. I mean, he struggled with normal names sometimes, and I'm not criticizing him. It's just part of it. You know, it's just funny. Like, um, and he, he would really struggle with that name. But, you know, I, I've seen very few people predicting this guy in the first round. But he had an, a very underrated combine performance. He's 6'2", 280-ish, and runs a 4.49. So, you know, most of the defensive tackle predictions have been about, you know, the next Aaron Donald. I just said that for Nick, um, if he's listening. Um, from Pitt. And, you know, early on, the guy, ex-LSU guy from Baylor, whose name also we're not real clear on pronouncing. Siaki Ika. Okay, him. Um, 
But I think more I, as the as the mock draft era or phase is going on and on, you see more. You still see him every once in a while, but he's more of a second round pick or thought of. Doesn't mean he's going to be a second round pick, but he's more thought of as a second round pick. And this guy, uh, Adeta Wamba or Adet, uh, Ad- how did I say it? I, now I'm not saying it wrong. Adi Tawawa out of, I said it good twice and now I can't say it because yeah, I was teasing Buddy D. Adi Tawawa out of Bilware. Okay, him. I think I, I kind of think he's gonna might be higher than both of those. Yeah. There's just so many syllables that could go different ways. Now that I'm looking at it again, I'm thinking of other ways it could be said too. I gotta I gotta find some. Uh, Addy Tamawa. Yeah, is, is it emphasis on Tamawa or Tamawa? Yeah. It, yeah. It, anyway, it, it's strange. I think I think, we're, I think we're on be, the ballpark though. I think he's gonna be a first round pick, and it could be to the Saints. We will see. That's hour number one. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Now is a good time to get in if you would like. We've talked a little bit about the national championship game last night and and how do you kind of evaluate or analyze UConn's run. We've talked about the Pelicans situation with four games to go beginning tonight against the Kings. Do you want the Pelicans to go 4-0? Because that could mean or probably will mean if you go 4-0, the 5C, which means you got to play the Suns. Do you really want to do that? Because in this weird Western Conference race, the perception is that the the perception by some is that you're better off playing the 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 one, two, or three seeds than you are the four, eight, or seven and eight seeds. I mean, that's the perception. It could be totally wrong. It's I understand why people say that. So, any thoughts you have on? On that situation, then of course, um, again, it, it, it's time. We've been, we've been, we talked about the NFL draft a, a fair amount right after the Saints acquired a first round pick, but then it got so busy and it got so much on the back burner. But it's time. Like we have got, I, I want to be as comprehensive as possible because again, I hate being Chris Naoli'd. You know, I, I just. You know, even Davenport, we had mentioned Davenport, but we didn't, I don't know how seriously we took it. And I think all of us were just totally floored when, you know, when the Saints traded up. Of course, when the Saints traded up, a lot of people were thinking it was, a you know, they were trading up for Lamar Jackson. And then the whole Peyton Turner thing. I mean, I think most of us were caught off guard. Most of us were caught off guard by Cesar Ruiz. I'm tired of being caught off guard. So I want to be comprehensive. And we got about three weeks to at least 
very much analyze the pick, whether you like it or not, and not be caught off guard. I, I just don't like that. I don't like being stunned. Now, I'd rather almost be angry on draft night than be stunned in disbelief over who was picked. I don't like that. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, that's a great pun saying that Caesar Weeds caught you off guard. Yeah. I don't even I don't even know if you knew you were that brilliant. No, I certainly didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> well, it's looking like there's gonna be a pretty good tackle there when we pick, and it seems like that's the logical choice. Even the kid from Michigan that y'all didn't talk about, but uh, that means if it's logical it ain't gonna happen. McDonald may be there, the edge rusher. That'd be a pretty good pick at 29. But uh, what I'm starting to see is going to drive you bonkers, Kevin. I'm starting to see the quarterback from Tennessee and the Saints mentioned in a few areas. Yeah, I don't know if the Saints know, snuck but down do, there. But do you really believe day. that? Like, do you but, really believe that? Um, I don't know. I mean, Carr, we say we're set. Carr is basically on a two-year deal. I mean, I know he signed a four-year contract, but it's a, it's basically a two-year deal, and if it works out, it becomes four. If it doesn't, they cut bait after two years and they move on. And Hooker, I mean, where you want to pick a quarterback in the first round is late in the first round because you get that fifth-year option, which is always nice. But what's crazy is we have such a high pick in the second round that maybe you gamble and you wait and you take the quarterback in the second round if you're going to go that route. You and I are always on the same page. I'm not big in drafting. It's too big of a gamble. But at 29, it's a gamble maybe worth taking. With the, what, 10th pick in the second round, it could be a gamble worth taking. I just think we got other holes we need to fill, and we've got our quarterback situation between Carr and Winston settled for the next year or two. So uh, it's going to be interesting. But because nobody's talking quarterback with the Saints, that could be what happens. I think they snuck down there and worked out Hooker real quietly because all of a sudden at the same time I see three or four different articles, including one from Tennessee, talking about how the Saints have shown interest in them quietly. And Hooker's not a name that anybody's talking about in the top four. So, uh, again, it, it, that's where you'd want to pick one if you wanted to go with a quarterback that's going to be a project. I just it would drive me crazy as it would you. I, I still would. I've got a fantasy about getting Robinson. I know that's a fantasy, but uh, well, I mean, it's not. It's not. Look, it's not. It's not a fantasy because, like, I if first of all, if I was the Bears, I would pick Robinson. I would. I, I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, if I'm the Eagles at ten, I pick Robinson. If yes, I, I'm starting to see that. And ironically, that's the same pick. Yes, and at twenty-one, if I'm the if if he drops to twenty-one, I think the Chargers are going to take him. But if he gets the past Chargers, the Chargers, the Chargers and the Cowboys are the gauntlet if he starts to fall. And if they're really interested in him, which look, I mean, when you're being compared to Ladanian Tomlinson, you got to pay attention. He's a three-down running back. We still don't know if Kamara's going to be in jail or not. So we really can't count on Kamara. We got Williams, which I like, but you need more than one running back in the NFL. And this kid's a three-down back that does everything. I'm in love with him, but I just don't see it happening at 29. But that doesn't mean they won't trade up, which is what they're famous for. 
but but, but here the like the really makes the most sense at twenty nine. You just sit pat, and there'll be two or three really decent tackles on the board if they want to go that route. And if not, like I said, McDonald's a really good edge rusher who could fall down to 29. Well, McDonald I mean, ran like a 4-7. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want that guy. I don't want a yeah, slow, lumbering defensive end. Well, I mean, especially with the luck we've had in defense. We got that already. I, I, don't, I don't see McDonald. I, I, don't, I don't see McDonald. But, but Tackle makes the most sense to me. And now, look, the tight end comes into play, too. If the kid from uh, Notre Dame's there. That could be a pretty decent pickup for him as well, and uh, we know how Carr loves the tight end. But I mean, are they content with what they have? Uh, uh, it's it, it's it's the Saints. So the fun news is, once they got the first round pick for Sean Payton, all of a sudden it became interesting again, like you said. So we have no clue, which we never do, because the one thing the Saints have done the last. Since they got Ireland, basically, they've filled all their holes in free agency, and it gives them so much flexibility in the draft that we have no clue what they're going to do. But no, I, I mean, I, I, I get that, but I, 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 don't, I don't think it's as wide. Like, we talked about it last week. Depending on whether you say there are 12 or 13 positions, I've already eliminated seven or eight of them. Like, I, I, don't, think there's, I don't think it's as wide open as we think. Oh, I think they've got the, the options to be as wide open as they want. They may be focused on – I think you lost too much defensive line talent in free agency, and I can understand why they let every single one of those guys go. So I'm not complaining, but at some point you need to restock those. I still think the biggest free agent losses offseason was losing Nielsen to the Falcons. I think that guy is a really, really good coach. And it's going to be interesting to see the direction the defensive line takes now that he's out of the picture. Well, again, so that's, that, that's the biggest offseason story if you buy it. The, 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 there's a thought process out there that they were fine that Nielsen was gone because, they, they first of all, the defensive line was, was not good last year. I know you and I disagree on that, but it wasn't good. And, I, and, and there's a thought process out there that they've got a different philosophy now on defensive linemen, that's, and that was done by the hiring of their new defensive line coach. I don't know if that's true, and if it is, it could impact the drive dramatically. Well, that to me is the biggest hole we got if you really look at it as defensive tackle. And I know they signed a couple mid-level free agents, which was I thought were both really good signings considering what they paid. Uh, but I think you got to get – we need a stud in the inside. And we just – it seems like it's been a while since we've had that. And it hasn't I, been I that long. No we had that cat from the Patriots, and I still don't know why they let him go. <laughs> There's a bunch of guys you can look at and say, how did we let him go? I'm bu- I'm more bumming about losing Ellis than any of the free agent defensive players we got. I thought he came into his own, and right when he did, I don't think it's a coincidence the Falcons signed him because Nielsen's got a real good look at this guy every every day in practice. So, um, it's again, it's it, we're just kind of – fine-tuning. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about the Saints because the South is such a wide-open division, and I think it's our division to win again. And well, well, we have, you, But again, you got to wait till the drive takes place. Like, like the, 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 
the, the Buccaneers or the Arnolds could end up one of these. They could end up with Lamar Jackson for all we know. Oh, true. Um, uh, we'll see. I, I just it's rare to me when a draft pick comes in and really makes that big a difference. Now, trading for a veteran is a different story, and I guess that's what you're talking about. But it's it's been a long time since I've looked at the draft, and even Olave, who I loved moving up to get, was I was like, is he really going to make that big a difference on this team? And he made as big a difference as you probably could, and it still wasn't enough. So well, he dropped we need, too many we need passes. Tackle. We need pinning to play. We need Turner to get on the doggone field. That to me is the biggest disappointment in, in the draft in a while. Ruiz actually really took a step forward last year. I thought he was one of our better offensive linemen. And then, of course, we got Andrus Pete. He's baffled everybody when he got the contract he got. So I think we're stuck with him for at least one more year. But if he can stay healthy, he's he's an above average <laughs> offensive lineman. So we our offensive line could be pretty decent next year if they stay healthy. But we seem to say and that especially every year. if they draft one early. All right, Joey, on your way out, give me the pronunciation for the defensive tackle from Northwestern since you're so high on defensive tackle. Oh, uh, dude, I would sound like Joe Biden give us giving a speech if I tried to pronounce that dude's name. But but Joey, but Joey, it's very realistic they could take him. Yeah, look, I I I, I personally think they're going to take a tackle. Uh, I'm hoping it's the kid from Pitt. I, I really like the way he plays. But it could is it Dally the kid in Michigan? Is that his last name? I've seen him in a few months. Oh, no, Macy. Macy's a second-round pick. I don't believe that guy's going in the first round. The only thing – the only pull you do on the Saints is whether or not they trade up. And and my money would be on yes, they do. I don't know why they're so – I think they see somebody, and when he starts to fall, they lock in on him and they go get him. So that's the only pull that I'd put money into is whether or not they trade up or sit pat at 29. That's a long way to wait, man. Long way to wait. And them guys get antsy. But, again, it's not Sean Payton. It's Dennis Allen. So he may be a little more patient in the war room than Sean was. Yeah. All righty, Joey. Thanks for the call. I love this stuff. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. The real An award-winning journalist. Popular sports talk show host. And a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand. In 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the whole bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. Just out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foote is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706 0111. 706 
0111 if you would like to get in. If Again, if you want to talk about national championship game last night or Sunday afternoon, whichever one. Been a lot of discussion on both nationally, obviously. So it's been a long time since. I mean, maybe we're a little deceived here because LSU obviously won the national championship, but even nationally, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe the the women's final for the first time. You know, I can't say the first time ever, but one of the few times ever was created possibly more buzz than the men final. That that didn't happen very often, but I I think that it kind of did happen nationally. And, you know, I'm not one that ever, I, you know, some people get all bent out of shape about trash talking and all. I'm just never, you know, I've never cared about all these silly touchdown dances. Some people get all upset about that out of, I just ignore all that. I've I've always just ignored all that. Now, you know, obviously you can't ignore it if you get a big technical foul or you get an unsportsmanlike flag um, late in the game and it costs you the game or it leads to you losing the game. Then it, then it, then it kind of reaches a, a new level of, where you kind of just you can't discuss the game without it I, you know in that particular situation I would do it but I you know I I think most of that talk is a bunch of talk about nothing but um for me so I, I kind of typically ignore all that but again you want to talk about basketball we've talked about the NBA several times and we are you may not be an NBA fan uh, or you might be a fan of a team who's doing terrible but we're down to the final week a lot of playoff spots and implications going on, including the Pelicans, obviously, who have won seven out of eight, and they are um, they they begin this final four game stretch tonight against the Kings, who could be, as we were talking earlier, the uh, the first round of playoff opponent. I mean, it's theoretically possible. That they could play him this week and then be playing him in the opening round of the NBA postseason. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that. Certainly, feel free there. We haven't talked much college baseball or softball today, other than the weather situation. Uh, we will be talking some college softball with Bobby Nova in in the next segment. Baseball is uh, playing McNeese tonight. I'm sorry, Tulane tonight. Softball is playing McNeese. Tonight in Lake Charles, uh, baseball was playing Tulane here, and, and I thought Coach Deggs put it good yesterday in, in the weekly presser that, you know, he's not going to put too much stock in statistics because me and I think him and I think a lot of y'all were all fooled by apps pitching. You looked at their stats, their their team ERA was 794 coming in, and they pitch very well. So we're going to throw that out the window. So it sounded like McGeehee's starting on Friday. Is that what you gathered from yesterday? From yesterday's presser, because they thought Jackson needed his normal rest, they have Jackson pitching game three, and I still think Jackson is their number two weekend starter, but because they're playing Thursday through Saturday, sounds like uh, Jake Hammond is throwing Thursday. And, yes, 
Blake McGeehee on Friday and Jackson Nezu on Saturday. But how many innings are they going to get out of? Right. I I would have expected it to be Ben Tate or Cooper Rawls. I'm a little surprised they're going to go with McGeehee, but I mean, he looked good when he, you know, he, he kind of seemed like he ran out of gas pretty quick, which you maybe understand that he hasn't thrown in a while. But so that's why I was just kind of like, all of a sudden you're going to throw him into a start right after that. A little surprising to me just because of how well Tate pitched and as well as Rawls pitched in their last outings. But I think you can kind of tell they've always seen McGeehee as a rotation guy, and I guess we're yes. kind of seeing that here. But 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 here's the here's the fear. Last last two outings for Jake Hammond, he hasn't gotten out of the fourth in either one. Um, now he revealed yesterday when we interviewed him, Coach Deggs did that he had a death in the family, and then that could have had something to do with it possibly. And that the comment that I you know I've made that comment before that for years and years I talked about how. Most of us now, you know, at a close knit college community, it's different because a lot of people do actually know the athletes. But especially on the professional front or like a big time college program, we look at these players. We don't look at them as people. We look at them as robots like we don't really for the most part, unless we know them personally, we don't really care it's not that we don't care but we don't even think about the fact that you know they might have you know family issues or whatever all the things that we live you know that impact our days we don't think about that we want them to be focused and give a hundred percent and let's win let's go uh we don't think about the fact that family issues or off the field issues could be impacting them um you know there are there are behind-the-scenes controversies on teams all over the country that we never, unless you're really involved in the behind-the-scenes of the program, that we never know about that impact how well an, a particular athlete is playing or not playing, especially um, on my, from my experience on the, on the female side of sports where – you just you just don't know. Like we analyze all this stuff, and we just sometimes are totally missing out on what's really going on because we just don't know on this side of the fence. So we'll see what Jake Hammond does. But they need him to get innings. So what I was saying was, if Jake Hammond doesn't give you four innings again, and then you pitch Blake McGeehee on Friday, and he doesn't give you any more than four innings or less, then you could be in a little bit of a pickle there. Well, then you'll need Rawls and Tate to do what they did last week again, which is give you five innings each. So that's that's just the thing. And I guess it doesn't matter who you start, which they're going to start JT Etheridge tonight. I'm sure he's not going to go any more than, you know, three innings, three at innings the most, right? And, and that's what we've seen from him. So that's also the new school way of thinking of it in that you used to think, well, whoever's going to give us the most innings is going to be the guy who starts the game. Well, now you don't necessarily think of it that way. They think – well, maybe my best reliever is going to go the first inning because we want to get the best hitters out. So anyway, there's different ways to think of it now, whereas even if they don't think McGeehee's going to give him more than three innings, they might just want to start him out there because they like you know the way he goes about his preparing for a start as opposed to coming in relief. I, I guess we can consider it that way. I just worry this late in the year, f- figuring out the rotation at some point, y- you got to get it figured out and... I guess it's good to have four or five guys that are all in the mix for it, but you just you need a few guys to emerge at some point. And well, point number one is you got to see 
what Jake Hammond is going to do this weekend and or next weekend. If he goes out and gives you strong six innings, then 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 you go back to him, you know, that then that kind of solidifies that spot. If not, then it becomes open. Now, you know, I think and I asked him in yesterday's presser if you don't have a midweek game, which you do this week, or Cooper doesn't, even if you have a midweek game, but he doesn't pitch in the midweek game, how tempted will you be to start him on the weekend? You know, again, he kind of, I get the whole utility thing because I kind of have that mentality a lot uh, over the years. Like with Moody and with Rawls, he kind of likes the idea in in you know as a as a concept of pitching him twice in a week instead of just once as a starter to impact more games, um, I get that. But if you don't use him that first time, then maybe you are better off using him. Um, or you could say, you know, I also don't have a serious problem with the pitch backwards mentality. No one really, hardly no one thinks that way. But does it really matter? Um, you know, if, if, if Cooper comes in and gives you five innings, theoretically inning three through seven or eight are more important than the first two or three innings anyway. So does it really matter, you know, whether you go three, four or two, five or five, two, like, does it really matter? I, I, I don't know. So it, no, it's, it's. There's a lot of question marks, and and I described it yesterday as a puzzle piece, and and this puzzle, and you know because you know he made the statement over the weekend he thinks Ben Tate is a starter long term. Well, maybe by May he will be a starting rotation, uh, especially if Jake doesn't come through. It is, um, and you see, I also think that. I'm going to give it another week or two before you start really going down this road. I I think it's very possible, probably likely, but I'm going to give it another week or two, that this team just doesn't have a Friday night starter. They really don't. Like, it's still, I'm still willing to give it a chance, but I, I think if two weeks from now we're saying the same basic thing, then I think you're pretty much at the situation at the point where you can – Say they just don't have a Friday night, a true ace Friday night starter. So you just you don't have to have one to be successful. It just makes it tougher, and your bullpen guys need to really be really good and come through. And of course, by about that time is when Dylan Toit's supposed to be back to help you out in the bullpen. So hmm, it's uh, it can be complicated and. It goes back to what I say all the time. If you have too many decisions to make, that's not good. Whether it doesn't matter to sport. If you have too if you have that many decisions just to put your team on the field every day as a coach, to me that's not good. Because when you make that many decisions, it just increases the chance that your decisions are not gonna be correct or not gonna work out. Too many decisions to make each day. And that's kind of where they are with the pitching right now. So it's going to be very important that Jake, if you could give him at least five, and, man, it would be great to get six out of him on Thursday. Um, they're going to be playing in Charleston, from what I understand, against Marshall. All right. We'll take a timeout. Come back. 
shift gears to softball with our friend Bobby Nova next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Well, I don't know how much sun they actually saw, but it was certainly a here comes the sun moment week this past weekend for Cajun softball with the sweep at James Madison. Did you see the sun in Virginia, Mr. Bobby? Yes, on Saturday. It was a very nice day. I actually went to, uh, we woke up Saturday morning. It was raining and it stopped around 10. By the time game time started, it had cleared out pretty nice. And Saturday was a very nice day. All right. So I've heard a lot about, well, I can't say I've never been there. I've never attended a game there. But when we made our family Wally World voyage to, to, to um, a couple summers ago to um, Niagara Falls, we actually did drive right through Harrisonburg and saw – the campus of James Madison. But I've heard a lot about how nice the facilities are. So what was so impressive about the softball field that that you don't often see at other softball fields? Well, I mean, first of all, they just finished construction on this, on this, uh, you know, the renovations. They added upper decks on both the first base side and the third base side. So, you know, they, they've got – you know, good seating. You can seat about 1,500 people, I think, and really nice press box. And uh, one of the nicer facilities in the uh, in the Sun Belt, really, uh, you know, next to the Cajuns. Possibly the second nicest facility that I've been to, although, you know, South Alabama's really nice and Texas State and Troy, those places have nice facilities. But this one, this one's really nice. It's got, like I said, two decks on each side of the, uh, you know, the first base side, the third base side with seating behind the plate below the, uh, below the press box. So, well, I don't think of Virginia, but, uh, you know, the only problem there is, 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 you can't play baseball and softball at the same time. That's the point I'm getting to. I, I don't remember Virginia being all cramped like I'm in the middle of New York City here. So why are they so cramped where you can't play a baseball and a softball game at the same time? Well, if you, you know, I guess if they put up, they would have to put up, you know, like those big tall nets that you see at Top Golf. You know what I'm talking about? Right. They they would have to put that up to be able to play baseball and softball at the same time. Because if you hit a home run in a softball game, it, it's going to go into the baseball field. And if you hit a foul ball to the first base side of the baseball field, it's going into the softball field. So this so, is not an engineering school, then, is what you're telling me. No, obviously not. <laughs> Man, and again, engineering's way above my head, but uh, I think I'm going to figure that out. But anyway, all right, so I know you are a um, big, it's not going to rain. Why do y'all keep talking about this guy? You've done that to me for years and years and years, so... 
uh, I'm keep hearing it's going to rain all weekend. So get, tell me that it's not going to rain. Well, Kevin, um, you know, in the spring, these systems, a lot of times, the, 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 the most of the energy will miss the Acadiana area to the north. Hopefully, that's going to be the case again this weekend. I believe, looking looking at the weather uh, for the you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think there's a there's a chance we could play Thursday night. Friday looks like the worst day. And then, you know, maybe get a doubleheader in uh, late Saturday afternoon. So that's kind of what I'm seeing, you know. Uh, Friday really look, doesn't look good at all. I mean, they're calling for a, a 99% chance of rain. <laughs> Why wouldn't they just say 100? <laughs> so um, is a doubleheader Thursday an option? Uh, yeah, I would guess. You know, I, I you know. I don't know, first of all, I don't know the Sunbelt rule when it comes to playing on Easter Sunday. I know a few years back they changed the series to Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Whether the Sunbelt would let you play on Easter Sunday uh, because of weather, I, I don't know that. I don't know the rule there. Um, had a good source tell me over the weekend that if you start, you have three days to complete a series. From when you play the first game. So if you play, if you play the first game of the series on Thursday, then you have to complete the series by the end of Saturday. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. So, huh? So it will uh, certainly be interesting. Now, how concerned are you? Like, when did the team get back yesterday? Got back into Lafayette about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. And then, you know, normally you like to practice. They probably haven't been able to practice, and they're going to Lake Charles today, correct? Right. And, not, and then they got you know, one day off, they, and then they're – they they're practice this morning, but, I mean, those kids have to go to class. I'm not – you know, I wouldn't think they were able to do anything this morning. But uh, And I don't think, you know, way back in the fall when this schedule was put together, because Glasgow had no idea that – the team was not going to be able to fly on Friday because baseball and softball can't play at the same time. And the, the softball game was scheduled at three o'clock Sunday afternoon. So, you know, just wasn't possible for the team to fly back on Sunday evening. And he, he, you know, obviously didn't know that when he put the schedule together in the fall. So, and then you're going to get one day off theoretically and then play what could be the most important so, series conference, conference series of the year, right? I mean, could be. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, they're they're eight and one in the conference. They're twenty five and ten. Um, you know, South Alabama's putting together a really good, uh, really good season, and it's always a good series when when the Jaguars and the Cajuns get together. You know, somewhat of a rivalry. You know, they've been playing for years, and South Alabama's the last team. To defeat the Cajuns in a conference series way back in 2013, so they would like nothing better to uh, to be able to come in and and end that you know that streak. I'm sure. All right, so there were some really good things that happened coming out of uh, the sweep at James Madison. One of the things that happened 
is that he played pretty much the same lineup all weekend, which never happens. Uh, and I commented in a column today, that's good if you're playing, but if you're one of the girls that weren't playing and you used to playing, you probably don't think that's too good, although you like winning. Uh, and so h- how sustainable is that, do you think? Well, everybody played, Kevin. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's all going to be if these kids can accept their role because, I mean, in Sunday's game, everybody played. Everybody either had a, you know, either pinch run and go out and play a couple innings on defense or, you know, pitch hit or, you know, or play late inning defense or, but everybody, the only kid, the only position player on the roster that was left in the seventh inning on the, on Sunday was Carly Heath. He's the only position player that did not play in the game on Sunday. So even though he had the same starting lineup and for the most part, the same batting order in all three games, the, you know, he, 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 he used the entire roster in all three games. So it's going to be important to see if those kids can accept their roles. And, you know, I know Kendra Lamb is, uh, you know, she's, um, she's taken on that, that, that role where she comes in in relief and, in fact, I gave her a new nickname this weekend, uh, Kevin. Uh, I'm calling her Goose from now on, and I had to explain to her who Goose Gossage was. <laughs> once I did, she was, I did, she was like, "Yeah, I like that, Mister Bobby." So uh, she, from now on, we're going to call Kendra Goose. She she's a lot nicer than Goose Gossage was, though. Oh, a lot nicer, <laughs> no doubt about that. Yes. <laughs> It wouldn't take much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> do you think she could start tonight, though? Well, I mean, I'm sure she could. But uh, if I had to guess, uh, I would think maybe Sam Landry starts and, and and they kind of piece it together. You know, Shorman probably be available maybe for a couple of innings as well as uh, as well as Kansas. So. Uh, that that would be my guess, but I, you know, certainly could be completely wrong because I haven't talked to Coach Glasgow or Coach Robichaud about the pitching plans tonight. But again, if I, you know, if I was a betting man, I, I would bet on maybe Sam Landry getting the start tonight because she didn't pitch on Sunday; she pitched on Saturday, and uh, but Stormin and Lamb both pitched on Sunday. But she started the first two games against McNeese, and some coaches don't want you to see the same pitcher three times in a in a season. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, you're absolutely correct, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All Kansas right, I know we're a little overdue, you know? so one real quick question, just because we brought this up earlier. And if you say I hadn't really thought about it, we'll just move on. But if the Cajuns don't win the conference tournament, what's the maximum number of Sunbelt softball teams you think will be invited to the regional? I would say three. Unless Marshall wins the tournament. I don't think if Marshall wins the regular season and doesn't win the tournament, I don't think they get in. Their strength of of schedule – it's 249 out of 306 Division One softball playing schools. And, uh, you know, their RPI is, I think, 66 right now. I think for Marshall to get in, they have to win the conference tournament. But I think the Cajuns, South Alabama, and Texas State, I think, have a chance to maybe get in. All righty, sir. 
Well, enjoy y'all trip to Lake Charles, and we'll see. Hopefully we can get three games in this weekend. We will see. Yes, sir, we will, and uh, we'll be in touch. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. In the first hour, we were talking about how the Tigers own the the Astros, and it's kind of inexplicable. The the Mariners really struggle with the little MVP. I mean, they just struggle with the little MVPs. I don't know why, but they do. They have for you. Mike Trout, they just, oh, man, they just cannot get him out. But uh, we'll see how that goes uh, elsewhere in that series. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, yesterday, I caught a conversa- yesterday I caught a conversation between y'all. Uh, who, who are the Blue Bloods y'all listed? Um, what? We talked about North Carolina, Kansas, UCLA, Kentucky. Duke and Duke and Duke, right? So let we, me ask you this: So Indiana lost his status since they uh, since the last title was eighty-seven. You know, Indiana is an interesting because for a long, long time they were considered a blue blood, and, and again, I would think they're probably a blue blood still because again, blue blood doesn't have anything to do with the last twenty years in my mind, unless your definition of a blue blood is different than mine, but. Uh, like Indiana, I'd have to, I guess, do some research, but uh, on where they were way before I was born. But okay, I, I will quickly say I think it is a historical thing, but you got to renew your application every once in a while, and Indiana's overdue, so they're not on my list right now. Also, man, uh, the situation. Uh, you know, I might hang up after this. Uh, also, the situation with uh, the whole uh, Iowa LSU. You know what? You know what got over? You know what's basically overshadowed? Kill Moki put her hands on an official. Like we're not we're not even talking about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Didn't she grab an official? It was a, it was kind of incidental contact, contact but yeah, I, I was shocked that wasn't called as a technical foul. I'm just I'm just I'm just shocked we're not about you know the way we talk about all you know whatever you know sportsmanship, but she actually put her hands on an official. We're not talking about it, but hey. Once again, congratulations and, uh, to her and to the team. And uh, thank y'all. Thanks. No, there was a lot of, you know, conversation. And one of the major topics is just even, you know, you don't see too, too many. It happens, but too, too many games where both sides are angry at the officials. Or the, and I think in that game, Neutral, I mean, all three, like people who were just neutral were angry. The people on LSU side was angry and on the Iowa side was angry. So um, I guess if I I made in my claim that basketball 
is impossible to officiate, that that would be one of my games I would show as evidence. Is that sounds like that would be one of the games I would show as evidence? But no, I, I don't. I think it's 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 all over. Um, it's just it's it's difficult. I mean, it is. It's. Um, I think in some people's mind, it's a non-contact sport, but it is a contact sport. But there's so many rules. If you go by the letter of the law, then it's a non-contact sport. And then, so how do you officiate a non a contact sport that, at its roots, is a non-contact sport? Because it hasn't really been officiated as a non-contact sport for a long time, and yet some contact is a lot harder. And yet it's more allowed than sometimes barrel contact is called. And that's the thing that leads to the points directly. Again, all of that stuff just makes basketball so complicated when it comes to officiating. And with all of that said, I think football would be a much better officiated sport if they officiated it like basketball. If you think that is – we don't have time to go down that road, but I really believe that. Yeah, I think the great thing about basketball, that the thing that makes basketball somewhat fair is there's something called the makeup call. And I know people don't like, but in basketball, you have more makeup calls than any other sport. And I think football needs more of that, in my opinion. Y'all have a nice day.